The Tour Guide A quick note. I spent a significant amount of time in Asia in the nearly 2000s and fell in love with Vietnam. This is my imagining of the other side of the tour guide slash guest dynamic. P.S. Vietnam is so much more than a place where a significant war took place. Fun fact. They call it the American War. I am a tour guide, just like my cha. I am the only daughter in my family, and I don't know if that means anything, but my three brothers all got married and moved to Ho Chi Minh City. My cha always treated me like a son, so my me blames him for my never being able to make cute small talk or cook well. So I never married, and now I take care of my parents and do walking tours with international tourists. Nachang is a coastal town, and it is advertised on the backpacker must list, mainly because we have scuba diving. Any hostile guests wet dream. That and elephants. We have water buffalo, which they also seem to like. We don't get the fancy tourists, not like the kind I see in the travel magazines, which invariably focus on Thailand. The fancy ones stick to the big cities. This is probably because Vietnam, my country, and Cambodia may never recover from our shared genocide and minefield reputation. Laos? No one ever seems to know much about it. But they have elephants, the Mekong River, and more temples than you can shake a stick at. A Canadian taught me that expression. Plus their own ugly modern history. I don't think they get nearly as many tourists as the rest of us do, fancy or not. Cambodia has the reputation for the most extreme dark tourism, with its museums of high schools turned into torture chambers, brothels of school-age girls, and the killing fields. The fancy tourists go to Angkor Wat, the ancient temple city in the jungle. The tour buses with Chinese, Japanese, and Korean writing on the sides choke the roadways, gassing out the tuk-tuks. I hear that the tourists just go straight from their hotel to the site via charter buses, never even setting foot in the neighboring town of Siem Reap. I went to Angkor Wat once with my father as part of my training to be a tour guide, to see how the real guides do it, and to go to my cousin's wedding. We went into Siem Reap and had a beer at a bar that had Pol Pot's alleged toilet seat on the wall. And why not? My father and I couldn't stop laughing until I stepped outside and saw a woman with no legs and two children by her side. This was ten years ago, way after the killing stopped, but amputees are everywhere. When my country intervened and kicked out the Khmer Rouge, the ousted regime fled to Thailand, and there are still thousands of landmines along the Thai border wantonly placed to keep the deposed government from returning. And did you know? There are hardly any old people in Cambodia. Hardly any at all. So many of that generation had been killed. That's what my relatives who live there say. And that's what I saw. Anyway, Cambodia is a shitty place to be a tour guide. The jungle is hotter than hell, and you can only, in your deepest nightmares, imagine the humidity levels of a Southeast Asian jungle. You got two choices as a guide here. Either you work in the steaming jungle, or you go to a city where you're talking about death all day. In Vietnam, we have our dark past as well, but the communist victory generates a lot of pride. We have managed to kick out every invader that has ever tried to control us. We are nothing if not practical. Take what we like from the foreign invasion and get rid of what we don't. My guests are often surprised when they find baguettes everywhere. In my opinion, the best leftover influence of any invasion. 
Mai Cha says Vietnamese are Kung Dao, which means tenacious. That has become my favorite English word, and I try to use it whenever I can. When I studied about the American War in school, we learned how they just couldn't adapt to our superior fighting techniques and community participation, though we were far outgunned. One of my teacher's favorite stories was about how a unit of invading soldiers entered a village, took what they wanted, and then camped in the jungle. That night, the villagers, after gathering fireworks and making wooden cutouts in the shape of people holding guns, surrounded the encampment holding the cutouts and waited for the signal. Those with the fireworks lined up behind them and at the signal began to shoot them off and light up the jungle. The people holding the cutouts began to run around and the soldiers, seeing shadows of quote-unquote soldiers with guns, were convinced they were under a midnight assault and ran away as fast as their heavy black boots could carry them. They spent what was assumed to be a very uncomfortable night in the jungle, and when they returned in the morning, they found that the villagers had taken what they needed. Never suspecting it was the locals, and not train, trained soldiers, the platoon skedaddled, got that word from a Brit, out of that area and never returned. My guests are typically lonely planet worshippers poring over their dog-eared copies in restaurants over pho and local coffee, which is prepared with condensed milk. Sometimes I watch the tourists as they stand next to street stalls discussing for as long as ten minutes whether or not they should trust the food served. It's 50-50. The only foreigners that will eat there consistently are the English teachers from the local language school, which also teaches Mandarin. One guest from Australia said it's hard to trust street food when you can't trust the water. I don't really see a big difference between the quality of restaurants and street stalls. I mean, street stalls get their water from the restaurants and serve the locals, and they rely on repeat business. You can't be getting a reputation for making people sick. So if anything, maybe the street stalls are the better bet. My cousin sells bottled water and plastic baggies of petrol next to my aunt's restaurant. He charges four times as much for water as he paid, which is a nice profit. It's a good business model, actually. He has water for the tourists and baggies of petrol for the locals, so somebody always needs something from him. We get around mainly on motorbikes, so a baggie of petrol can be a lifesaver and give you enough juice, this word was from a Texan, to get where you're going, or to the closest gas station, which is two miles outside of the tourist district. Motorbikes are a typical taxi here, so the more adventurous tourists, like the ones who eat the street food, get a thrill and get to where they need to go. Bike taxis are cheaper than traditional taxis, but of course, tourists still pay four times what a local would pay. Don't mention my aunt's restaurant around my cha. She married a French tourist years ago, thinking it would be her way out. They communicated in English, but she studied French while they were dating, just in case. Well, instead of her moving to Paris, as she imagined, this much older French tourist was also a chef and decided to start a restaurant here, which she could do if he were married to a citizen. It wasn't a bad move on his part. We didn't have a French eatery in the town, but what happened was he taught my aunt how to cook French food, and then he parked himself in the dining room all day, getting lazier and fatter, while my aunt did all the work. My dad stews about it regularly, though he tries to bring his guests there. That way he is supporting a family member. Don't tell the guests that. Just tell them it's the best French food in the country. But that also means he is supporting that awful Frenchman. Anyway, the guests also invariably buy water from my cousin. 
If they want authentic local food, which is often the case, Cha will take them across the river to the Water Buffalo Cafe. There they can watch the buffalo and sloppily chow down on bowls of rice or pho as they inexpertly use chopsticks. Unless they are Chinese tourists, of course, though we don't get many. They prefer the more developed and much larger coastal city of Da Nang, though anyone who wants to scuba dive will come through here. Either way, no matter which lunch the guests choose, it is included in the tour package, and no matter which they choose, they are also paying for their tour guide's lunch. I learned that trick right away. I sometimes wish I could be a tour guide in another place, like Hoi An, which is a coastal city like us, but it is an ancient city filled with tailors. I could still do what I do now, but also take them on a tailor tour and get some nice clothes as a kickback, I'm sure and talk about the mixed architecture from the various invasions, explain why Japanese and French architecture is side by side. Or in Ho Chi Minh City, where I could take them to the cafe where the Tet Offensive was planned, the pride of the war. Or in Hanoi, where I could take them to see Uncle Ho in his glass coffin, on display in all his glory for all to admire and remember. But I am a good daughter, taking care of my parents and continuing the family business by showing off our beautiful river of water buffalo, twisting paths through the villages, authentic living, and ending up at the Museum of Scientific Jars, which is a large building filled with specimens of life, rows and rows of it, floating in formaldehyde. It leaves me cold, but there are probably more pictures of that on my guest's Instagram than anything else I could show them. In the end, I like where I live. Plus, I don't have to talk about war or death or extinct civilizations, all reminders of how it could be here again, one day.